With Capella University's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. It's one thing falling in love with a house, picturing yourself moving in and calling it home, and quite another navigating the world of price negotiating, mortgage lenders, and finding the budget that works best for you. An agent who's a Realtor can make understanding that world easier. Realtors have the expertise, access to proprietary data, and tools to help you get from imagining living somewhere to actually doing it. That's the kind of help we can provide. Because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. By now you've probably heard James say that choosing yourself is about making sure you have multiple streams of income. Well, if you're retired or just looking for side income, we've put together a free business plan for you. You can download it right now at jamesaltitude.com backslash income. It's a great idea, perfect for anyone looking to build multiple streams of income. You probably walk around every day and see plenty of opportunities, but who has the time to chase them all? Instead, James has started keeping track of his best ideas, those that anyone can do. One of them is so unique he wanted to share it with you. So just go to jamesaltucher.com backslash income and download his free report today. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Stansberry Radio Network. So Casey, I'm excited to be doing this interview. We did this. Is, you're you're a two peat. This is the second time you've come on the James Altucher show. I'm a huge fan, and I just realized my daughter and all her friends are huge fans of yours. I love hearing that. So I want I want to ask you all about your videos, but first I want to ask you about the product you just launched last week, Beam B E M E. It's for the iPhones first, but it's coming for the Androids. Just tell me a little bit about it. Sure. Well. I identified a problem that I wanted to solve about a year and a half ago, and the solution to this large problem that I identified is Beam. Beam is the manifestation of, of that solution. And how I would characterize that problem is me being a person who I credit so much of my career to my use of, of social media and social networking. I'm sorry, I'm always going to be interrupting, but your use of social media, how many views on YouTube do you have at this point? Um, about 200 million. Um, and then what other social media are you're, you're everywhere yeah I'm a big fan of Snapchat I love Instagram I made a movie called Instagram I love you you know I use Twitter I wish I were better at it but uh, you know I'm a, I'm a holistic thinker and I, I use almost every social platform that I have a what I would describe as like a positive relationship with and, and just to describe I'm sitting here in your studio and there's like a painting of the Facebook homepage okay I've never seen anything like that you painted that yeah, so I did that a couple of years ago, and that's just, you know, the Facebook home screen is something that we all stare at at least once a day, every day, and a billion, four, uh, 1.4 billion users do every day. But it's something that's, that's temporary. It's um, something that that's, could go away. So the painting was just me, like, obsessing over this image that's so ingrained in my brain. How do you make it tangible? Um, so I painted it. Why did you paint instead of just photograph it? Because of painting something you make with your hands is and something tangible and tactile is the antithesis of what you see on your computer screen. 
the computer ah. screen, by definition, is something you can never touch. It's something that's never existed in a physical, uh, in a physical form. And a painting is the opposite of that. It was made by the human hand. And I want to get more into her YouTube videos, but what you just described sounds to me almost like the urgent problem you were solving with Beam. And maybe you can go a little more into that, and I'll ask you about it. Yeah, I don't know that I would agree with that characterization, but the the, the problem for me that I identified is that. Social media, by definition, is meant to be a digital or online version of who we are in our real lives, who we are in our social lives. That is what social media is meant to be. Why is it meant to be that? Nobody uses it that way. Why is it meant to be that? Well, you know... Everybody just, like Facebook, you look at a Facebook feed, it's like the highlight reel of their best, like, well, drunken so the, so moments. So what you're talking about now is the problem. Right. But I'm looking at the Facebook home screen, and it says, Facebook helps you connect and share with the people in your life. Like, it's meant to be this online version of your life. Okay. That is what these social networking products are. And I think they're great for a lot of reasons, but one thing that they're a, a big hole, a big weakness in these products is something that I would describe as, as honesty or authenticity. And the reason why that's not there is that social networking, social media enables us to do something that we've never been able to do in real life. And that's scrutinize the version of ourselves that we want to share with others. When you take a picture to share on Facebook, you first get to edit it, manipulate it, make sure it's flattering, and then you post it. When you take a, a Snapchat, it starts looping back to you, and you say, do I like the way I sound, the way I look, should I improve my looks with a filter? Um, when you take an Instagram, there are untold ways to make your picture more beautiful. And when you write a tweet, you're able to sit there and, and scrutinize it and edit it and make sure you sound clever and make sure you sound quick and quippy. And I just don't think that there's anything in life that really mirrors that opportunity to evaluate what version of yourself you want to share with the world. Well, let me ask you, is this a technological problem or is it kind of a personal or artistic problem? Like when I watch your YouTube videos, I see a lot of authenticity, regardless of the fact that you're using YouTube versus some other video platform. I think it's up to the artist personally to bring their authenticity out. I don't know if it's a technological problem that well, needs sure. to be so, solved. So, like, I take what you just said as a contentious fact because you just said as an artist, you create authenticity or however you said it. But you use the word as an artist. And I think that that's right. Like, look, my YouTube videos are an artistic expression. They're me as a creator making these videos um, that happen to be about something that, that is authentic. But... I don't think every post that you put on Facebook or every, every Snapchat that you share, every tweet that you write makes you an artist. I think that people that use these social platforms use them to share who they are as a person, not as a form of creative expression. So you're, you're offering Beam as a way for, to make it easier for people to have an authentic That's sharing right. on social media. Is that because the other forms of social media make it harder to be authentic or is, is it that people personally need to use these social media no, all the it's, time. No, it's, it's definitely the, the prior. It's mm -hmm. that these social, these social media outlets that we have and these social networking tools that we have really encourage the kind of scrutiny, really encourage projecting not who you are as a person, but who you want to be perceived as a person. That's what they're built around, and that's what the tools that they provide you with. You know, you swipe in one direction on Snapchat, and you're given a filter that makes you look more tan and makes your eyes bluer. Um, that's a fact. That always works for me. You and it I makes me more that, handsome. And yeah, and, that, and that's a fact. And so you're sharing a version of yourself. And I, I think that that is the big sort of differentiator is that social media today is about dictating what version of yourself you want to share with the world. Or it's about, it's about, it's about sharing how the world sees you.
And what Beam does is it shares how you see the world. And I think that's a really big differentiator. Now, in reality, how that manifests via the app is something that's far more nuanced. If you hold down one or two cells in Beam and you see a couple of beams, you'll say, well, that just looks like a Vine. That just looks like an Instagram video. It looks like a Snapchat video. But in aggregate, you start to look at the way your friends are sharing. You start to look at the way strangers share on there. In the aggregate, what the takeaway is, is you're really seeing people's perspectives. You're seeing an outward-looking perspective. You're seeing what people are up to. You're seeing them talk to the camera the way that they talk to another person, not the way they talk into a mirror. So what, all of that is accomplished via technical solution. All that is accomplished by removing the option to preview and review what you're sharing. You just share what's actually happening, not a version of what's happening. I see. So in some cases, social media can allow you to be authentic, but with Beam, you're almost forced. It becomes easier to be authentic in some way. I hate to use the word easier because it's not quite that. But no, you're, and it's you're, also you're, like I, I would take issue with saying other other social platforms. I don't know how you said it, but Beam forces you. I don't. I would take issue with that. And I think other social platforms they don't make it hard to be authentic. They're just not. They're not built around a, a platform of authenticity. They're built around a platform of, of creation or or a platform of, of making these interesting little snippets that you then share with the world that are supposed to be um, or presented as versions of reality. But the reality, but the, the actuality of that is that they're, they're highly manipulated versions. So now it's been around for a week. It'll be eventually on the Android. It's going to be all over the place. What's the best beam you've seen so far that's been shared by someone you didn't know? Uh, so, you know, in your beam feed, there are all the people that you follow, um, much like Twitter. But then there's also these discovery cells that we put in there, and they're characterized in one of, one of a, a handful of categories. There are your nearby stranger, which is someone you don't follow that's close to you, an interesting stranger, which is someone who's algorithmically chosen for you to check out. Like and then there's, there's something called a faraway stranger, which is a person who is roughly as far away from you as possible on planet Earth, who you don't follow. And that's one of my favorite ways to, to explore. So one of the things that I saw this week was it was a girl... And she was posting from Sweden. And she was on a sailboat, a small sailboat that was just cutting through a body of water. It looked like, I don't know what the body of water was. It looked enormous. And she's going so fast on a sailboat. And there was three, three clips. It was a 12-second beam. And just in that moment, I'm holding down my phone. And what happened was I wasn't holding an iPhone in my hand. But it felt more like a little portal. Like I was pulling back the curtain on this girl's perspective who was on a sailboat racing through a body of water in Sweden. And then 12 seconds later, it was, it was gone forever. And that experience was such a visceral, such a real, real interaction. I really like the idea of the faraway stranger, like getting more than six degrees of, of connections away. I don't think Facebook or Twitter has anything like that. They, they should do that. Our kind of mission statement here at Beam is to promote empathy by sharing perspective. So with that, every decision that was made in the product was built around that principle and the principles that coincide with that, that sort of fundamental mission. So when it came to what your, you know, what your feed should look like, of course the people that are your friends and the people that are of interest to you should be populating your feed. But then we also always want to be exposing you to perspectives outside of your social circle. And that's what the faraway stranger, that's what the nearby stranger is about, that's what the interesting stranger is about. Is these are people that you don't know. And here's an opportunity to sort of peek into their worlds and see what that looks like. And so you've been working on this for about a year now. I think I saw one of your videos. What kind of inspired this? Um, I've been working on it for a year and a half now, which is crazy. But 
what inspired this is, was a frustration. It was a frustration because I have a desire to share and I don't always have a desire to create. And I think there's a really big difference there. If I see something interesting happening in the street or I just met a stranger outside who was like really excited to meet me and I wanted to share that we got to meet, my options for sharing that interaction uh, are limited. It's a weird, it's awkward to tweet, hey, just met a stranger. It doesn't feel right to post a picture of the two of us saying just met a stranger on Instagram. There's no real outlet for that raw interaction. But it doesn't mean that I'm not compelled to share. And that's something that the more I thought about, it, something that it was, uh, I ran into every single day. I'm always seeing things that pique my interest. And as human beings, it's like it's, it's ingrained in us, this desire to share. I also like that your experience with the stranger is not interrupted by the social sharing because you can put the phone right on your chest to do the video while you're still talking to the person or interacting with them. Sure. You know, we wanted the screen to not be a distraction from the reality. And where we landed with that is let's just kill the screen. So when you're recording on Beam, the screen's off. And we do that by activating the proximity sensor, which means you can just cover the phone with anything. You can put it against your shirt and it will turn off. You can cover it with your hand and it will turn off. You can put your thumb over it and it turns off. You can push it up against the wall and it will turn off. But when you're holding a, a phone in your hand and the screen is dead, the last thing you want to do is stare at it. So it sort of, it, it encourages you to stay in the moment. And then the moment that, uh, that capture is complete, it just posts. So there's none of this evaluating or looking down at your phone to say, what did I just capture? How do I move? Does it sound good? You just slip the phone back in your pocket. When you do uh, YouTube videos now, are you feeling more like, uh, you feel like the pull, like, oh, I want to get back to Beam, like I want to do more fun stuff with Beam? No. Because you're so excited about this now? I mean, I'm so excited about it, but I also post about 50 Beams a day. Um, but the process that goes into it is so different. It couldn't be more different. You know, every shot that goes into my vlog is a highly considered, very like the cinematography is very important to me. Every aspect of it is a production. That's a creative expression. That's me making a movie. I want to talk about that in one second. One thing I want to know about being with all these other social media platforms, there's usually some article somewhere. Here's how XYZ made a million dollars on Snapchat or Instagram or YouTube. Do you foresee Beam becoming a platform where people could eventually make money? So for instance, I could take a Beam of, I don't know, some products and then have affiliate links or whatever. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, look, I think it's a natural progression of, of any product like this. You know, Jack, who works in our office here, Jack has 80,000 followers on Beam, um, which is insane. But look, any smart marketing company would look at that and look at Jack and say, we'd love to get our product in front of 80,000 people. Hey, Jack, let's do something together. Here's a check. You know, working in branded content for 10 years, I'm not naive to how that works. Beam is something that smart creators will very quickly figure out how to exploit. So on YouTube, like you say, with your with your vlogs, every shot is highly considered. How much effort goes into a three-minute video? How many hours of effort from, from beginning to end? This is a good sort of segue from the Bean conversation, but a tremendous amount. Every single shot is considered. Every single like frame is considered. When I edit those, there's no accidents. There's no 1 24th of a second, which is a single frame of video that I haven't thought about. Like, is this, does this help promote this story? And that could not be further on the spectrum of sharing from what Beam is. Beam is the absolute opposite of that. There is no consideration that goes into how I'm sharing what I'm sharing on Beam. The decision point is singular on Beam, which is like, do I want to share this moment? The answer is yes, it's shared. Versus my blog, which is a really considered, 
In fact, you know, I prefer them as movies because I think that like each six to eight minute video that I release each day on YouTube is a, you know, it has a three act narrative. It has a, it has an arc to it. It, um, it has, you know, flow and music and I, I color correct them and I want them to look beautiful and I want them to be these, these, you know, those are creative expressions of mine. And like, let's take, uh, I don't know if this one is your most popular or one of the most popular, but the just do it one that where the Nike gives you money and then you t- say, we're going to take this money and we're going to go around the world. And there's shots of you running. There, there's so many great moments in that video as there is with all the videos that I've seen, but I really like how you're running and as it's almost as if you're running around the world because you're running in the exact same way but there's different backgrounds, you know, every few seconds in some of these. And it's throughout, it's kind of spread out throughout the video. You don't let three seconds go by without some kind of emotional moment. And is that part of the process? Like, you're not just taking a video of a talking head, for instance. That never happens. Um, yeah, I mean, I would go further. It's never three seconds. It's, um, I never let one twenty-fourth of one second. I never let a single frame go by. It doesn't contribute to the narrative in some way. But, you know, that's the nature of making movies. That's the nature of having done this for 15 years. And you do anything enough, and you will have sort of a far more refined understanding than anyone who doesn't do that practice would, would, would consider. And then there's the pacing of it, too. Like, there's all the kind of very fast shots, but then when you're on the beach with, like, the two girls, it slows down considerably. Like, what's just, what's going through your mind when you're thinking of the pacing of a video? I don't know. I don't know that there's that. It's a far more instinctual process than that. Um, you know, make it count, the movie you're referring to. That movie took seven days to shoot and three and a half months to edit. Mm. It's five minutes long. Three and a half months to edit five minutes. So none of, there are no accidents there. But each and every one of those scenes that you're describing, like, it's, it's just considered as a whole. How does this contribute to the story? How does this consider, contribute to my emotional relationship with what I'm seeing? There's no formula to it whatsoever. It's binary. Is this good or is this not good? Uh, okay, so what, what does that... So I know this might be almost hard to express because you've been doing it 15 years. It's like baked in. But as close as possible, how can you describe good versus bad? Like let's say you were watching a video someone else made and you were making a judgment on it in your head on each scene. What would what would spring out at you as good versus bad? I mean, it's it's a purely that's a extremely subjective question. Sure, and I think a lot of people would have a lot of different responses. Like, if you want to pick on one of the greatest filmmakers that's ever lived, like Stanley Kubrick, movie snobs, my movie snob hipster friends love to talk about how amazing Barry Lyndon was, and I appreciate why they loved it. The whole movie was shot by candlelight. That's incredible. Like, it's a technical. It's technically virtuoso, flawless movie. But in my opinion, the movie sucked. And it sucked because it was boring. While I'm watching, I wasn't enjoying it. Therefore, the movie sucks. I don't care that they shot it by candlelight. So to me, it's, it's purely, you know, there, there are no mechanics to whether or not you enjoy or, or you don't enjoy something. But that's what it comes down to. It's like, when I'm watching one of my movies, I say, like, is this an enjoyable experience? Is this an experience that has some sort of an emotional relationship with me? Um, and if the answer is yes, it's a good movie. And if it's not, then it's not a good movie. So it seems like in a lot of the, the daily vlogs, what seems to pop out is, and I don't know, obviously, how many scenes you videotape to come up with one five-minute video or eight-minute video or whatever, but it seems like there's a lot of generosity of interaction, I call it. So if you see someone in the street and they give you M&Ms, 
then that some ends up in the video. It seems like there's a lot of interactions and, and you, you prize those over something you're looking at. So, so an interaction seems to be more valuable to you than, let's say, a good shot. Yeah, I mean, I, look, I think part of the reason why people tune into the blog every day is they want to know more about me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're sort of, I just left big time where I have to interact with thousands of people in real life. And it, was, it was lovely to get to know so many people that watch my content. And hearing from them, you know, they really, they say they feel like they're my friend. And I love hearing that. And, you know, moving forward with the understanding that they're interested in me, then, uh, you know, I like to show interacting with other people. I like to show the people that I meet. I like to show the, th- the things that interest me in life. And the things that interest me more than a beautiful shot is, is meeting, a, you know, the girl that works behind the counter at McDonald's, who's really sweet. So I'd always rather show off human interactions because there's so much more to be learned from that than there is from a, a pretty shot of the skyline. And then there must be some things you plan in advance in the sense that, like, again, that, that just do it video where you're running on like a hundred different scenes or you're in the airplane, you're in like a hundred different airplanes and we see the exact shot of you, but like on a hundred different airplanes or however many different airplanes. So it must be some things you think, boy, this will be creatively good if I track my progress in the world where I'm essentially standing in the same place, but in a hundred different locations. So there must be some kind of pre-planning that goes into that. Sure. Um, it's called make it count, not just do it. That movie. Okay. Make it count. Yeah. I was using the Nike, uh, yeah, but look, there's a, there's a very real difference between like a movie that I make with a significant budget for a client like Nike that I have, you know, four months to make and a vlog that I have to turn around every 24 hours. Right. So sure, yeah, that shot was, that movie was incredibly, you know, all those shots were planned and considered and we had 50 other sequences that are that amazing as the running left to right sequence that we never used. So yeah, like we tried our best to plan out everything in that movie and a lot of it failed and was left on the floor and a lot of and some like of it succeeded. No, I mean, there's just a number of like a number of different aspects of the narrative that we wanted to link through all of these different cities that we visited. And in the end, it just came across as a little bit too contrived. It came across as, as, as almost trite versus having putting in more shots of like silly, stupid things like us eating food on an airplane, which just felt more real. Like that's, the trip was less about the beauty of these cities. And it was more about pain of us enduring to, to get to have all these wild experiences in such a narrow amount of time. When did you decide to start doing the daily vlog? Because that seems to put an extra pressure on you creatively. You know, the daily vlog was something we kicked off in, I want to say, end of March. And my ambition with it was I wanted to have a means to communicate with my audience what I was doing with Beans. I started that vlog so I have a way to talk to people about being. That was my intention. But very quickly, I realized that, like, I can't spend 10 minutes a day talking about my new company. There just wasn't that much to talk about, especially with the, the fact that there was so much of it that, was, that I wasn't willing to talk about in those early days. So it manifested into something much, much bigger than I could have ever imagined. And it's now turned into this monster that I, I could have never seen coming that dives way more into the personal aspects of my life and dives way more into the things that I'm passionate about. On a daily basis. On a daily basis. It's something that I'm engaged with in a way that I could have never foreseen. You know, can I ask you, like, I have this problem. So I write all the time about my daily life and have an audience on my writing. A lot of times people want to hear about sort of the origin story. Like, this is where I came from. This is kind of riches to rags to riches or whatever. And I feel like... 
torn between writing about what, what truly brings me to life as opposed to what the audience is asking for. And how do you deal with that kind? I mean, it sounds like you don't deal with that at all. It sounds like you're totally in the day. This is what I enjoy doing. But do you ever feel that pull from the audience? Like I have to do something to appease the audience? No. I mean, if it is there, I don't pay attention to it. You know, truly original creators create based on what their own desires and what compels them to go, not based on what other people want. And certainly, like, that's how I feel. It's like, you know, if, if the audience really knew what they wanted to see or I really knew what I wanted to share, it'd be a much different relationship. But because of the spontaneity and because each video every day sort of reflects what my day actually was, not a version of it that people, that I think people want to see, um, I think there's sort of an implicit trust there. And that trust is something people respond to. And so you've been doing this for 15 years, and it's a common thing among many of the people I interview, whether it's rappers or astronauts or authors or writers, there's, there's decades of experience. But let's say someone today wants to pick up an iPhone and say, I'm going to start making YouTube videos and I want people to watch them. What would be like the, the three or four tips you would give them? I mean, it's just persistence. So if you start today and pick up an iPhone, you might be successful. You might have a thousand views in two years. And I think that's the big differentiator. That's what separates sort of those who succeed in the space and everyone else is because uh, it necessitates a degree of work that most people are just not willing to put forward. I like what you said before also, though, and this applies to writing. This even applies to photography of a narrative. There's an arc. There's a beginning, a middle, and an end. And how do you, particularly when you're beginning, how do you get a sense of what that means? And work more. All yeah. of this is predicated on one thing, and that's willing to put in the hours. Like, I didn't, my first video was garbage. It was about, like, my ex-girlfriend's birthday party. It didn't have a three-act narrative. It was junk. Like, you can't be taught these things. It's the equivalent of, like, if I want to, I'm a terrible skateboarder, and if I go up to uh, Tony Hawk and I say, teach me how to skateboard, he can't sit there and say, verbalize how to skateboard. He's the greatest skateboarder ever because he's, like, been busting his ass on a skateboard for 30 years. Yeah. So I'm really quick to discount any tips because tips are false. Like if it could be prescribed how to succeed in the creative space, everyone would do it because it's the greatest job ever. It takes hard work and it takes paving your own way. Why is it the greatest job ever? Because it's all about, it's about self-expression. It's about self-determination. It's not about, it's not about acting based on another person's wishes. Um, you're beholden only to yourself, your, your aspirations, uh, and your voice. And that's an incredibly empowering, liberating place to be. Well, Casey, thanks so much for appearing again on my podcast. Good luck with Beam. Uh, it looks fantastic and amazing, and I'm already recommending it to everyone. So good luck. Thanks, for, thanks again. Thanks for having me. This is great. For more from James, check out The James Altucher Show on the Stansberry Radio Network at stansberryradio.com and get yourself on the free insiders list today.
There are any number of reasons you might consider selling your home. To move closer to family, live within a smaller budget, or just wanting a change of scenery. Whatever your reasons, having to figure out all the various housing market trends in your area may not be what you signed up for. That's where an agent who is a Realtor comes in. Realtors have the expertise to help you find the right price and navigate the process to sell your home in a way that's right for you. That's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors.